folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and joining me is Eric Eagle from Pro Football Focus, or the Hayton Doctor, as some people on Twitter have—they uh, haven't called you that yet, but I've just now come up with it. Uh, Eric, um, every day you and I are pulling out our swords like that GIF from uh, whatever that HBO show was at Vikings fans coming at you and sometimes me as well about um, the discussion over where this team is. And it seems like every day something new happens that we have to be like, Oh, that's not very good. And then there's the crowd of people who says it's okay. It's okay. What are you guys talking about? It's been a strange existence over the last couple of weeks. It has. And you know what? Like, you know, try to stay out of it a little bit. I mean, the fact is, is like, Stefan Diggs is out here running up the score on Vikings fans. Uh, you know, uh, Xavier Rhodes was the, his primary opponent the other day, you know, having a, a really good year after leaving Minnesota. Um, you know, Yannick Ngakwe is freaking in the second round of the playoffs. And, you know, and and there are people who think that the 7-9 and nine Vikings team, a uh, team that had their preferred secondary the whole year, uh, had their – you know, starting middle linebacker. I know Zimmer likes to lump Kendricks in the injury group, but he played 11 games. So he was there most of the year. Um, you know, Hunter was certainly uh, somebody that, you know, they missed, but they, and Pierce as well, but they, they were going to start Shamar Stefan, who has no, you know, zero career seasons with over 10 pressures uh, at three technique, a position that needs to get pressure on the quarterback for you to be successful. And then obviously the issues with the offense, which is just simply that they run too much and they went, look, Justin Jefferson probably should win rookie of the year, but he didn't play the first two weeks, two games in which you weren't very competitive. So I, you know, I said this last night and I, you know, I, I, I mean it. I don't have, you know, there's, there, we, neither one of us hates the Vikings. Neither one of us uh, has any animosity towards the team. But we, what we would like is evidence that they deserve any sort of reverence from us. Yeah, I mean, especially from uh, my perspective of covering this team for my own business that I created this year, it would have been nicer to cover some playoff games, I can tell you that. Um, but I also can't be dishonest with you about some of these things. And I think what you come to with what you just talked about there is that the difference, and here's where I think it's maybe perceived as being like overly negative or overly harsh, but I think is very fair to say the reason you deserve so much criticism for seven and nine 
is because you were so wrong about how you thought this was going to go. And eight out of the 10 top guys in terms of snap count on defense have been here since at least 2018. And as you mentioned, the two corners, they were starting those guys anyway. Oh, we lost a bunch of corners. Okay, you lost Mike Hughes. You always lose Mike Hughes. Uh, You started Holton Hill, which was never going to go well from the beginning. But the other two guys, you had planned on playing them for the whole season. And those are the two guys that that make up the other two out of the – Eight of ten. You drafted and developed Jalen Holmes, Jaleel Johnson, Hercules Mata'afa is an undrafted free agent that you decided should play a lot. And I mean, really, just you got it wrong in a lot of areas that you thought were going to go right. So I think they're deserving of the criticism, but that's not to say that like they should shut down the franchise or anything. And sometimes, no. sometimes I think what's, what's hard though, is that when the head coach says we did the best we could do, I think a lot of people say like, oh, okay, well you did have a lot of excuses. And I just push back on that. I just did the, like, it's not the best you could have done. And that's where I think that is maybe the disagreement with fans, but it's also the thing that doesn't sit with me. Right. It's like, look, I mean, if every fan could have guessed you need a better guard than Dakota Dozier, you probably got it wrong, right? I mean, if every yeah. if every fan knew Shamar Stefan wasn't going to be the answer and you should have signed Snacks Harrison, then you probably got it wrong. And I think that's my issue. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like the guy in the, the hot dog, uh, you know, sort of suit saying, like, uh, how the hell do we get here? It's <laughs> like, you know, yeah, sure. If, if, if you got planted into the Vikings situation week one and you played out the string and none of the dis- – none of the – None of the decisions prior to that were your fault. And sure, yeah, you had bad luck. You 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 had injuries to Kendricks. You had injuries to Barr, although I, I question how much Barr is really worth to that team. You had a regression from Anthony Harris. You should have probably expected that, given how well he played the previous two seasons. And then, obviously, Harrison Smith's getting older. I thought he had a decent season. And, and you're, you were starting rookie quarterback cornerbacks out of your own free will. So, like, yeah, I mean – they didn't have the best luck in the world. Although if you look at those injury charts, they're basically exactly where you would expect. Um, There are teams. It's not illegal to have injuries and to still do. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, most of the teams in here, I mean, the Vike, the the chiefs are starting Mike Remmers at right tackle this weekend. Um, You know, they're, they're not without, they're without Sammy Watkins or without Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Their first round draft pick is not playing this weekend because of an injury. Um, You know, Cleveland, didn't even have their head coach for the playoff game against Pittsburgh, and they still end up winning that football game handily. Uh, you know, uh, they don't have Odell Beckham Jr., a guy they spent a first-round draft pick and a lot of money on. Like, the, you know, the, the lack of resilience was the reason why, you know, guys like you and me said that the season was not going to be as successful as the betting markets who had the Vikings as the favorite to win the NFC North, even with the Daniil Hunter news. So, I I don't know. I was asked earlier today what I think the solution is. I don't know what the solution is given the current approach. I I think if, if I had to say, you know, given where they're currently at, my, my hope would be that they would get an offensive coordinator who's aggressive throwing the football and that they would lean in and do what you've been asking for for years, Matthew, which is get a third wide receiver. That is a superstar. Get, you know, lean into look, Kirk's a good passer. Um, we know from fantasy football, though, that as you increase a player's volume, his efficiency goes down. A lot of Kirk's efficiency is because they don't ask him to do that much. And so what I would do is say, look, like, let's test Kirk out. Let's make him throw the ball 700 times next year, and let's and let's see what we have here. If he produces, 
awesome. You're, you, you found something out. Like right now, there's a ton of question marks about whether Kirk can be a, a quarterback of a team that leans fully on him. Well, answer those questions and give him a chance. Do what Buffalo did. Buffalo has Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, John Brown, and then they add Stephon Diggs. Like that, the, we know everything we need to know about Josh Allen now. Leave nothing to mystery here. And this is, I think, the part that is most frustrating for a lot of fans is that it just feels like nothing is going to really fundamentally change with where they're at. And I I am in agreement. I mean, I'm very interested because the Minnesota Vikings always have this way of surprising you with something, and sometimes it blows up and sometimes it works out really well. Um, you know, Denny Green drafting Randy Moss when you had two top-notch wide receivers probably was quite a stunner to Vikings fans at the time, and then it works out to be an all-time great decision. And then there are other things um, that they've done that have been huge splash moves that have not worked out so well. But I never eliminate the possibility of the splash move. And so I'm very interested to see if they suddenly kind of find God a little bit here and go, you know what? I mean, this is probably going to be another seven and nine season if we don't do X, Y, and Z. And I I agree with you on the solution. And it's funny about how uh, I'd like to, on this show, ask a bunch of people kind of the same question to see what the different perspectives are. But there aren't different perspectives on the Cousins situation. From the XFL coach I had on, to you, to Seth Galina, to all sorts of everyone, everyone is on this consensus of like, you got to at least give it a shot to roll with Cousins and really buy completely in. And I think some people will say, hey, you tried that in 2018. And I would say Laquan Treadwell was your number three wide receiver in 2018. Did you really buy into Kirk? Did you really lean into the Kirk? I don't think that you did. Um, So, I mean, next year, if you go into it and you say, you know what, we're going to throw to Delvin Cook all the time. We're not just going to run him, you know, 300 something times, which by the way, uh, you know, if you want to be real scared, go look at the numbers that I put on uh, the website about, Um, guys who have touched the ball as much as Delvin Cook is a little nerve wracking. I'm sure there are only like seven times someone has touched the ball since 2010, more than 350 times in a season. And he did it in 14 games. So that should be a worry. But if you were going to leave lean into the Kirk, you would put cook in the slot. Sometimes you would get a star number three receiver of which there are a dozen in free agency this year. As of right now, there are several in the draft that could be superstar players. I mean, at least at least give it a shot because I think that that's where you feel stuck in the mud with this team is when you say okay well you're going to go out and you're going to run your play actions and stuff with cousins and you're going to improve the defense but there's not enough cap space to you know there's like an inevitability about it that people feel that I totally get like I I mean because I kind of feel the same way and I just wonder about with George Payton leaving and with pressure on like really on for 2021 if there is that possibility of doing something that really catches us by surprise yeah I mean if I'm a if I'm a Vikings fan, I look at it with a little bit of skepticism because I know that the goal for Spielman and for Zimmer, given the reaction to a seven and nine season, might just be another seven and nine season, right? And that was always why, and I know I was in, inflammatory with this, but it's why I made calls for Jameis Winston. It's why I, you know, 
I wanted to look at alternatives to Kirk because the problem with this Vikings team is if they continue to play it the way that they're like you, you're you're not going to get to 13 and three to 12 and four and competing for the Super Bowl in the NFC by doing it the way they're doing it. Like it, they're, it's very confined and it's very short lived. And you look at San Francisco, San Francisco is like the gold standard of how the Vikings try to play football. And they made exactly one playoff appearance under Shanahan. And when push came to shove, they weren't good enough to win the Super Bowl. And now they're back to funny exactly where the Vikings are this year at seven and nine. And so like, there's just this the, widen the distribution of possibilities. Give yourself a chance. If Kirk becomes the next Matt Ryan or the come, becomes the next Drew Brees, you're 13 and three, and you got a shot. If he doesn't, you're three and 13, and that's fine. Look at Cleveland. That like the Vikings fans are so worried about being Cleveland or being Detroit or being the New York Jets. And it's like the the road isn't that far. They were thir- three and 13 before in 2011. They were in the playoffs the, literally the next year. They were, you know, 5-11 and 11 in 2013, 5, 10, and 1, and Zimmer had them in the playoffs two years later. Like, the, the, the downside to being really bad in the NFL is not that bad. Like, in fact, if you're really bad, you get a chance to draft a high quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is what I was thinking about, too. I was having a conversation with our friend Brad Spielberger about the direction of the Vikings and just getting his opinion, kind of um, chatting with him. And, you know, just thinking about – if the Vikings went the route of uh, the Miami Dolphins, I, someone said to me the other day, well, you, do, you don't want to blow this whole thing up. And I'm like, it's why it's almost all blown up for you already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's almost already there. And if you decided that next year, instead of being like, hey, let's put all the pressure on Mike Zimmer. If he doesn't win this year, then he's fired. If you said, how about we save some cap space, get our bleep right with the cap because the cap and uh, the Vikings eventually became not friends anymore after years of people saying, look how well they manipulate it. And they do, but eventually that bill comes. And so get right with the cap, get right with your draft stock and get that back together. And then you look two years down the road and players develop way faster than we think. Oh, I don't want a five-year rebuild. Well, Miami tore it apart about as bad as it's ever been torn apart. And they were competitive this year. And that's with a rookie quarterback who might be a bust. And they still end up winning 10 games. Well, and if you you increase the chance, like you trade – your players to Houston and Houston bottoms out and you get the third overall pick, (laughs) right? You know, like you give yourself a shot to also benefit off of other, other teams in, in, you know, poor decision-making. Right. So I want, this is kind of where I wanted to start to begin with, even though uh, it it became more ranty. Uh, The avant-garde offseason is what I want to call it. Like going the complete opposite direction of what we think, or at least having that discussion, the opposite direction of how we think they will go about it seems brighter than the one direction that they'll probably go, which is draft a defensive end, sign another guard who they hope turns out to be Josh Klein and like go from there. Um, The direction of trading cousins and drafting a quarterback or trading, or even if you don't trade cousins, trading Harrison Smith, trading Daniil Hunter, like really taking it down to the screws. You've already lost all your key pieces from the team that was here. Those guys are gone. There's only so much that the Neil Hunter and Harrison Smith can do for you. And trust me, I have as much respect for those players as anybody. They are incredible players. 
that's the point. They can help somebody else who will overpay you for them. And I got a really good question from the mailbag about this. Like someone asked, am I crazy for wanting to trade Daniel Hunter? Like, no, because no. he's going to want 20 million a year. Look at uh, Frank Clark from Kansas City. Look at that contract, like what that does to you. That's the kind of contract Daniel Hunter wants is one where there's a $20 million a year cap hit. I mean, I, I think as crazy as it sounds, there's a, a really good case for moving some of these guys who are left over from the previous run. Yeah, I mean, we talked about <laughs> trading Harrison Smith at this time last year. I mean, that was, you know, that was a player that other teams wanted and you could turn into two players in a situation where, you know, you needed that. I mean, they were they were having issues with depth last year. And, you know, obviously, you know, it, Smith's a year later. Hunter is a year later, one injury in. Um, you know, Kendrick's obviously as well. Uh, you know, not to mention Thielen and, and guys who I think could garner, you know, Kyle Rudolph, you know, guys that could have garnered something on the on the marketplace last year are, you know, sort of no longer in that sort of, you know, they're less likely to to this year. But, you know, the question that you have to ask, so you talk about Frank Clark. Frank Clark has been worth a tenth of a win for the Kansas City Chiefs the last two years, each year. And it doesn't matter, right? Because they have, they figured, they have everything else right. You can make mistakes. So, like, Vikings fans are like, well, if Michael Pierce didn't opt out, we'd be in a good position. If, if uh, you know, if X didn't happen, oh, everything would be changing. It's like, don't you want to build a team that's resilient to those things? Kansas, Frank Clark, I, I messaged somebody who I know within that organization. I said, is Frank Clark hurt? And he's like, no, he's just bad. And it's like. <laughs> And it's like, and and the and there's no butthurtness about it. Why? Because they won the Super Bowl, right? Like when you win a Super Bowl, no one keeps score anymore, because the only score that matters is that you won the Super Bowl. Now it's like, oh, like everybody wants to pat the Vikings on the on the back for Jefferson, and that's great. But don't you want to be a franchise that's no longer keeping score of good picks and dra- bad picks? You want to be Super Bowl or not, right? And that's only a handful of teams, but those the handful of teams deserved deserved it and can deal with the mistakes that were being made. And, you know, like you want to put yourself in that position. The problem is, is they're not like they, they, their path to winning. And we talked about this last year. That's why we didn't like them going into the year. Their path to winning is Hunter returns and is great. Harrison Smith uh, fends off father time for one more year. Both corners from last year's draft become good and they find a third corner. Uh, Kendricks returns from injury and is good. Barr returns from injury and is good. They find two guards. Uh, Riley Reef stays off uh, uh, age for another year. Um, and Brian O'Neill becomes an elite tackle. And Jeff, that's a lot of ands, right? Like, that's a lot of ands. And, you know, we, we can look back on the 2021 season and be like, well, three of those things didn't materialize. And so I guess – you know, it's commendable that they made it to eight wins or whatever. It's like, don't you want to put yourself in a position where you make a few really sound bets and they all hit and you are a Super Bowl contender? Because that's really, I think, the vision for people who are not that thrilled with the direction of the franchise. That's right. And I will always on the show and in my writing, look at everything through the prism of winning the Super Bowl, because to me, there's 
not a whole lot else, right? I mean, you can have magical years like 2017. I wrote the book on it and they're fun and they're unique and they're, you know, filled with different events that people remember forever. But your goal, when you start out the season, you kick off that first ball isn't to go, hopefully we have a commendable season. It's that no, it's to try and win. And so if you're looking at like what the path is, it, great for you that you won in New Orleans. That was one of my favorite games to cover in my entire career. It might be number one aside from the Minneapolis Miracle game down in New Orleans. And the fact that I got to eat food in New Orleans yeah. maybe puts it over number one for that. Um, so nobody enjoys this stuff more than me when you have great moments that you get to write about. It's just that you won a playoff game as the number six seed. Congratulations. But is that like the peak season that you want? It's like the standard has very much changed since going into 2018. It was, boy, if this team doesn't go deep in the playoffs, what a disappointment to, uh-oh, we lost on the last day of the season to miss the playoffs. And now all of a sudden seven and nine is best we could do. It's like you are so cl- like not that far away. The third anniversary of the Minneapolis Miracle is the other day. And yet, the, the goalposts have really moved all over the place. Like they haven't for people analyzing the team, I think, but for the way that they've sort of projected it out and told their fans like, oh, uh, you know, this season was fine. I mean, I, I just, I can't get on board with that. And so I guess my question, well, well, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and, and there's also these things come at a cost, right? Like the, I look, we weren't talking last night about, that that fans shouldn't feel great about the Minneapolis miracle or that fans shouldn't enjoy the new Orleans game last year. Those games though, come at a cost, right? Like if you put all your eggs in the basket of a team whose ceiling is winning one playoff game that comes at the cost of being a team like Kansas city, when they Alex Smith was a, almost a surefire AFC West champion quarterback for that team. The prior to 2016 and 2017, the Kansas City Chiefs had never in the history of their franchise won consecutive AFC West titles. But keeping Alex Smith there, and he was making 20, 25 million a year, keeping Alex Smith there and in almost ensuring yourself of a really good chance to win the AFC West was in many ways preventing you from winning a Super Bowl. And so when that became the explicit goal, you had to give up that security that what, and look, I, I loved the 2015 chiefs, the 10 game week. There was so much fun. Like that was one of my, my more, more enjoyable stretches as a fan, but you grow up from those things as a franchise and the not, I'm not saying the Minneapolis miracle, cause that was kind of a fluky season in, in many ways. It's sort of hard to replicate, but last year's win in new Orleans is what is basically the maximum of what this Vikings franchise is capable of. And trying to go for that again is at the expense of winning a Super Bowl. I want to remind you about our friends at Soda Stick. If you use the promo code Purple Insider, you can get free shipping at SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. There's so many great designs, including Chuck Foreman's Spin Doctor shirts, 
gold hats, straight cash homie shirts, and much, much more. And if you are a hockey fan, with that getting going soon, or a basketball fan, make sure you check out all sorts of great designs. Their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That's SodaStick.com. S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code Purple Insider for free shipping. All right, so uh, go avant-garde off-season then, and tell me what the route would actually be. I mean, not the not the route within the realm of reality of what we think is going to happen, but just um, the 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 route to actually get there. If the if the only thing was to win a Super Bowl and any anything less than that, or at least reach a Super, I say it reach. I mean, you get to that game, yeah, yeah. okay, whatever, you know, but like. Uh, that's a different discussion, I guess. But like to win, if winning a Super Bowl is the only thing on your mind, you would do blank. And let's say, let's add this too, because I, I want to throw something out there that I have never been a huge fan of, which is coaches coaching on the hot seat with next year, the year they're under pressure. Hate it. I think it, it, tell Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman that they're set for the next five years. You guys are the ones in charge. We have seen both of them do their jobs competently and build good teams yep. before or get rid of them, leaving people in limbo all the time. I, I mean, I've never had a relationship uh, with, um, you know, someone in my life like this. But, I mean, I imagine if you were dating someone and they're always telling you, you know what, like, if our next date doesn't go well, we're, yeah, we're going to yeah. break up. I mean, like, how are you going to feel all the time? You're going to be doing things. You're going to be saying things to try and make that person happy and to try and keep the relationship going rather than just being who you are. And and I think and I think from that perspective, it's actually a little unfair to the guys in charge. Um, not not that they haven't had their chances, uh, they have. But to to put them in a spot where you're saying if you guys mess up 2021, you're out. Well, what if Kirk gets hurt? I mean, what if you lose eight games uh, of Kirk Cousins? Well, then are they out or do they get another year because Kirk was right? Like, what if the, what if Michael Pierce shows up 400 pounds? Are we going to blame that and say you know what I mean? Like, where how do you make that decision? I think that becomes really tough. So I, in this scenario, when I allow you to answer my question and stop rambling, um, but consider that you have job security when we're, you're talking about avant-garde offseason. Well, so in this scenario, like they're currently in where it looks like Spielman and Zimmer are going to be the coach, I probably – as silly as this sounds, I ignore the defense this year. I, I go after, I mean, you know, and they, they don't have a ton of cap space. They're not terrible. I'd figure out a way to sign Curtis Samuel. I'd figure out a way to sign Nelson Aguilar. I'd figure out a way to sign Sammy Watkins on a really cheap deal. I'd find out, I'd find a way to have four wide receivers that other teams are scared of. I'd find a way um, to, to get an offensive coordinator in the building who, who's who's a pass first guy? Who, you know, somebody who acknowledges the fact that if Dalvin Cook is going to last his entire contract, he probably needs to be closer to 175 carries than he is to 300 carries. Um, to me, that's how. And then say, look, like Kirk's got two more years left on his deal, for better or worse. Um, if there's a quarterback available in this, in like you know, the third round that we like, uh, you know, somebody, you know, 
I, I haven't like studied, you know, that many of those prospects, but like, you know, we're going to, we're going to draft a young quarterback until we like one, that kind of thing. To me, the the worst thing that they could do is to look at the defense and say, we need X, Y, and Z. And then look at the offensive line and say, we need X, Y, and Z. Those are like weak link systems that you just need to get. Yeah, essentially, you need to throw numbers and cheap numbers at the problem. Yes. Right. If you're going to have any actual success, especially in a division that includes Green Bay, who is a 13-3 and team for the last two years, like that's a high bar. You are going to need to compete with teams offensively in the NFL, and that's going to that's gonna require you to have Jefferson as number one, and you can't assume Jefferson is going to be brilliant in year two. Yeah, you know, their regression happens to literally everybody. So throw him out there, expect something similar to what he had, but maybe not better. Thielen, you know, let's say Juju Smith-Schuster as your number three. Uh, somebody like, you know, maybe somebody a little older like T.Y. Hilton that maybe he wants to leave Indianapolis. But fill the wide receiver room with players that can play. Lean into Irv Smith as a concept at tight end. Don't earmark Dalvin Cook all the carries in the world. Get him the ball in creative ways and say, we are going to win by scoring 40 a game. Right. Yeah. And to me, and- to me that's how you have to do it. And, I, and the problem is, is that is so against – the moral value system of Mike Zimmer, but it's right. got to be if he if if he's going to coach the Vikings for the next five years, he's going to have to adapt. So he might as well start now. And he said in his end of year press conference, he expects scoring to go down next year, and I just don't agree. I mean, okay, down a little, but not fundamentally down. Not like no. otherworldly down. Since here's the thing that's crazy. Since uh, 2000, even 2017, which was a lower year in scoring in the NFL, it's kind of a weird blip because some quarterbacks got hurt. Rodgers, Andrew Luck, you know, a couple people got hurt that year. And there was like 21 points per team per game. And this year's like 28. And there's like a whole touchdown difference per team per game in the NFL now. And I, I mean, I agree on the level of, you know, bring in multiple people at some of these positions of weakness. And if you want to fix your defense, do it with guys who are the bargain bin who can help you. I mean, I was thinking about Baltimore with this. Pernell McPhee, you and I have known he's been good for a long time. They just throw him in there for 20 snaps. Derek Wolf, like an average proven player, throw him in there. Dre Kirkpatrick played this year for uh, Arizona. He's fine. Like, why do why do teams like the Ravens get Calais Campbell for a fifth round pick and the Vikings get Kari Bedvik for a fifth round pick? Like, be the team that gets yes. Marcus Peters for a fifth yes. round pick for once, right? Right. Like, why why are all the smart teams getting Desmond King for a fifth round pick at the trade deadline, and you're stuck? You know, like it's not illegal to be smart. Uh, and, and do the and do some of these things. And I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm saying what I'm saying is there are teams that get creative enough, and it's no mistake that the Ravens are in the second round of the playoffs for the second straight year, and they're getting guys like Calais Campbell for a fifth, Pernell McPhee, to your point, a Pro Bowl caliber player, you know, three four years ago that still has some juice. They have got they have two players on a franchise tag, and one of them they got from a third round pick. After five games of the Vikings, right. Marcus Peters, a fifth-round pick. Like, find these things, like, as opposed to, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket. Because here's the thing. I, a, make it so that your defense being good isn't necessary for you to be good, for one. 
right? right? Be a right. team whose offense is so – like Kansas City's offense requires their defense to get, what, three stops a game? Just get, <laughs> right. get off the yeah. field three times, right. and it's, it's okay. They're, you're never going to blame the Chiefs. Like if the Chiefs lose to the Rounds this weekend, the blame will be on Mahomes because yeah. that's the bet they make. The defense is the defense. Um, you know, and that and that's why Vikings fans get pissed because we say things like, "Well, Kirk wasn't good enough against Dallas." And like, "Well, what do you mean, Kirk did X, Y, and Z?" It's like, "Yeah, but he didn't show up for the first half." And and the fact is, their defense being bad is the table stakes of the game. You're starting Chris Jones at corner. Of course, he's going to whiff on Tony <laughs> Pollard. Right. Like, Kirk's the guy you paid all the money to. Right. He's got to be good the whole game. That's the bet you made. And. Right. And the same thing for the Jags game and the and the Panthers game and eventually the Saints game. I mean, you went into the game knowing you didn't have any defensive tackles against the Saints and any linebackers. Kirk's got to play better than he did, even if he did play well, right? right. And that it, and that and you got to give him everything that you possibly correct. can because you went all in on him. And exactly. That, that's that's the thing. If you're going to go all in, don't go halfway in and only pay him and be like, well, the rest is your problem, buddy. That's not how Kirk Cousins works. But I also wouldn't think that this was a real possibility for them to get to another level with Cousins if I thought he was super bad. I don't think he's super bad. I think that he's capable under the right circumstances of having a deep playoff run because we've seen quarterbacks similar to him do it. But if you're going to make it so teams can just double team your top receivers and he has to rely on Tyler Conklin on third down, then, I mean, it's probably going to be pretty tough to match score for score all the time with great teams. And tell me whoever wins a playoffs, like all the way through the playoffs, without having to go score for score. I mean, how many times did it ever happen? The 85 Bears, the 2015 Broncos, who, by the way, should have probably lost the AFC championship to Tom Brady. I mean – it just doesn't happen very often, and it well, really doesn't happen now. The, there's one team left in the playoffs that that prob like the who's the least probable team besides Cleveland to make it any far in the playoffs? It's the Rams. Rams the Rams yeah. have a brilliant defense, but ultimately, like their quarterback's not going to be good enough. The like just that's a bad bet to make. But here's the thing: it's also a bad bet to make to say we're going to pay a ton of money to Kirk. But to be successful, we need X, Y, Z to be to be also occur. The the thing that you want to do is say, look, we're going to pay a ton of money to. Well, you already are paying a ton of money to Kirk. Let's make one more bet, which is if we put a ton of weapons around him, he can he can get a top five offense, and they can be uber successful right. in said offense. And like then, just take defense out of the whole equation. You know. Take take uh, offensive line out of the whole – take all those other things out of the whole equation, and you should be – like, I think – like, look, this is where we might have evolved over the past three years. I think Kirk's good enough that if you give him really good talent and a, and a talented play caller, he might be good enough to get you to these situations. The problem is is they've sort of played halfway with him mm-hmm. and also defended on a defense, and that can win you a game in New Orleans, but it can't win you a Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that um, everything that they do, if we look at it through the lens of making bets, what's your best bet? Is your best bet to draft a defensive end and hope he gets 14 sacks in the first year? Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Uh, is J- it- I mean, Jared Allen had 22, 22 sacks in a year. The Vikings went three and 13. <laughs> like yeah. I, people overestimate how much individual defensive players change games and and seasons and like again Randy like 
Justin Jefferson made a whole like the Vikings are a three and thirteen team without Justin Jefferson this year. Like those guys are the real difference makers. String a bunch of them together, turn Kirk into 2016 Matt Ryan, and try that way. Um, because it, defense is just a tenuous thing. I mean, look at I, I talk about Atlanta. Atlanta got a plus rookie year out of Deion Jones, Keanu Neal. And ever since then, their defense has been trash. And since their offense took a small step back, they have never really contended since the Super Bowl year. Right. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, I think it's the clear path, even though it feels so far away from what they'll do. But I would say this. In 2016, they, after that season, they chased Elshon Jeffrey. Now, they didn't get Elshon Jeffrey. But they already had Thielen and Diggs, and Thielen was coming off a very good 2016 season that projected to be like this guy's the real deal. You don't catch uh, 70 passes and, and be, you know, a dweeb. Like you're going to be good. And they knew right away that Diggs was good, and they still looked at Elshon Jeffrey. And I yep. and that that's the one thing that makes me think that like we're talking about the adding weapons, leaning into Kirk because there's just too much to fix on the defensive side with not enough money and not enough draft picks and draft picks don't work right away anyway. Uh, I mean, not like if you draft, uh, look at the corners, people feel good about the corners, but they didn't play well this year. I mean, Dantzler was competent, but I'm glad he didn't play well. I still think he's got a very good chance to be a good player. It took Mackenzie Alexander three years, Trey Wayne's three years, Xavier Rose, like those guys are not going to be good enough to where you're the number one defense. So what's the way. And uh, I mean, I, I am not, entirely convinced that they will ignore that like that at at some point maybe you get backed into a corner enough as a front office where you're like look if this doesn't work you guys are out and maybe this is the thing that pushes them because I was saying it the opposite way but maybe it's the thing that pushes them and they say all right well it's time to just go all in on the Kirk because it one more seven and nine year and we're all fishing so um anyway how about before we wrap up because you do the PFF forecast podcast you guys talk about gambling um, just give me the best bet. You guys do your best bet for each weekend and you debate it and argue over it and so forth. What, what did you land on for this weekend of best bet? Uh, I'm going to go back to your roots, Matthew Buffalo minus two and a half this week against the oh, Ravens. Scary. That's that. See, I don't know, man. Did you see that kick know. by by Bass? He looked like Scott Norwood. That was amazing. In the second, remember when Norwood? Well, we're we're a little too young, but I I've gone backwards and watched these games in the past because we're both like degenerate in this way. <laughs> but when Norwood kicked a field goal, I believe against Gary Kubiak and the Denver Broncos. Yes. In yes. the '91 playoffs, the following year after he had missed. Right, and he and had everyone been brutal that, that year. Yeah, right, right. He had the, the sort of mental freeze up during the season, and then he came back and made the huge kick, but. You know, nobody ever remembers that. So that was a game where uh, where uh, John Elway got hurt. It was at Rich Stadium, right? John Elway got hurt, and Kubiak took over. Gary Kubiak went 11-12 for 136. That's amazing. Two rush, three rushes, 22 yards, and a touchdown. Kubiak, Kubiak was amazing in that game. Um, Bills 12-point favorites at home, and Norwood hit a 44-yard field goal in the cold um, 
to send the Bills from being up seven to being up ten. Kubiak Kubiak's score cut it to seven, but it was out of reach there. Only touchdown in the game was a Carlton Bailey interception return for Buffalo against John against Elway. Against John Elway, yep. Yeah. But but Kubiak played really well off the bench. That bass kick reminded me because I like <laughs> took that game from seven to ten, much like the other kick. Um, that that field goal reminded me of Norwood's like last kick as a as a as a uh, bill, you know, in Rich Stadium. So it reminded me of uh, I think it was Mike Hollis ending Jim Kelly's career with a field goal by the Jaguars to eliminate the Bills. I believe in '96 or maybe yeah, that was the year the Jags and the Panthers. So. The Jags and the Panthers, by the way, the 96 Jags and the 96 Panthers should be the, all the motivation the Vikings need. These two teams were second year in the NFL and both <laughs> right. made the, the title game. Right. So the, the road back is not that far. Let's just say it that way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of evidence uh, of that around the league, how quickly teams go from the bottom. I mean, Cleveland, right? A complete joke last year. Now they're playing Patrick Mahomes. So, uh, Eric, always fun. I will not refer to you as the Hayton doctor anymore um, after that. Uh, you're, you you did miss out. I mean, you were actually too negative on your 6-10 and 10 pick. They went 7-9. and nine. I did, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I, Big mistake. I, I'm, yeah, if you take the Vikings one score wins and give them only 50% of those one score wins, they were six and 10. So I do feel like that's not how it works. No, that's not how it works. If, so they Nor- were, they if were Norwood's actually, kicks a little to the left, the Bills have a Super Bowl. So Matthew, they were actually more clutch than they were not clutch this year. They were, they were, yeah. they were above 500 in, in one score, or they were better than expectation in one score games this year. So. Yep. And uh, Cousins had some game winning drives, you know, all those things. So. I there was too go. negative. I, I will be more positive this year. I'll predict <laughs> seven and nine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Eric, <laughs> oh, always fun to get together. I enjoyed the avant-garde uh, offseason. I'm going to have to figure out how to spell that for the title of the podcast. <laughs> and uh, we will continue to talk throughout the offseason. You, sir, enjoy your weekend of football and your late-night podcasting afterward with George Shahuri. Maybe actually you guys get started a little earlier this week, so good for you. I might get, I might not zombie through Monday this week. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for coming on, man. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge for an initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that wants to grow, Hustle is an open-door level up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, now we welcome into the show my former co-worker and the biggest Cleveland Browns fan I have ever met in my life, Danny Cunningham. What is up, Danny? I, the, the Browns are winning in the playoffs. I don't know what to do with myself, man. <laughs> what do I do with my hands? Right. Exactly. Uh, That's how I felt all week. 
if you thought 2020 is weird, the Browns got a playoff win in 2021. Uh, and I want to discuss this uh, from a Vikings perspective first, and then we can get into some of the other things. I, I forced you to make a list of the five players that you kind of wish were here to see it um, or, or wish were on the team to see them in the playoffs and having success, the guys you feel good for because they um, they died for this along the way, and they, they had to suffer. But let's start with Kevin Stefanski. Um, it's clear that the Browns are better when he doesn't coach. I mean, that's ob- – no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want to know from your perspective, because Vikings fans obviously did not watch every Cleveland Browns game, and you did. What worked so well for Kevin Stefanski with this team? Basically, everything they tried offensively from, like, week six or seven on, once they were able to get comfortable with the scheme and the whole system, which I think he was a bit of a victim of, you know, COVID with – no real training camp, no preseason game, no mini camp. All that stuff that went along with the modified offseason was, well, you have a third-year quarterback that's in his third or fourth offensive system in the NFL, and you've got guys that are all trying to get on the same page, doing it in games that matter. But after that, once those guys all kind of figured everything out, everything worked. The play-action work. He turned Baker Mayfield into the guy that a lot of people thought he was going to be after his rookie season, where we all know that Last year under Freddie Kitchens, he took a giant step backwards coming off a year where many people felt like he should have been the rookie of the year in the NFL. So he's turned that guy into someone that you think could maybe be a franchise quarterback. He's not, you know, Patrick Mahomes level, but he's won a playoff game in Cleveland, which is more than anyone can say since 1999. Basically in my entire lifetime is more than anyone can say. So that's the biggest victory is that he has given hope that they have a real quarterback that can be around for, you know, the next 10 to 15 years. And and that's what matters most in the NFL, Matthew. And I was thinking about this um, with Baker Mayfield's performance and how well the Browns run the ball, um, that Kevin Stefanski probably arrived in Cleveland, looked at the offensive line and said, what is this? I can do whatever I want with this in comparison to what the Vikings were dealing with. And um, explain how the offensive line was built, because I think this is the, the most unbelievable thing for the Vikings is that year after year after year after year, PFF put out um, where they've ranked every year in pass blocking. And it was over the last, I don't know, nine or 10 years, only one year was above 20th in, in pass blocking. So Kevin Stefanski goes there and all of a sudden he's got a great offensive line to work with. I want to know how that was built because give me the model for what I should be saying that the Vikings can do to build up their offensive line, but also how Stefanski was able to utilize that. Well, it's been built in a variety of different ways. Like Wyatt Teller was a guy that John Dorsey, former GM of the Browns, acquired in a trade. Joel Batonio was a second-round draft pick out of Nevada a number of years ago that suffered through the really lean years. And then I think he was the guy that I felt the worst for last week because you know, he went through 1-15, 0-16, that 3-31 stretch with Hugh Jackson as head coach, and then they finally make the playoffs, and he's out because he has COVID. Like, that was just heartbreaking just for that person. They invested a lot of money in Jack Conklin this offseason from the Tennessee Titans, made a great signing with him in free agency. Jedrick Willis was a top-10 draft pick last spring, and he's been awesome as a rookie at left tackle, filling in for for Joe Thomas, who retired a number of years ago, and I know we'll get to him a little bit later in the show, but they did this in a variety of different ways. Because, And then J.C. Trider is also 
kind of been around forever. He's not quite as long tenured as Batonio has been, but he's been a, a staple of that offensive line for the last number of years. So they've done it in a number of different ways, but I think the moral here is you have to invest in it. And just because it's been a number of different ways that guys have gotten there, there have been investments of different sizes, whether it's been the big money in Jack Conklin or the high draft pick in Dredrick Willis, those investments have paid off. And that's given Kevin Stefanski and the Browns the ability to run the ball, to protect Baker Mayfield. If you look at quarterbacks that get hit the fewest or the least amount in the NFL, Baker's near the top of that list. It's, it's guys like him and Ben Roethlisberger, which is because the Steelers never let him take a five-step drop and everything was out within two seconds, so no one just had time to get to him. And the play-action game, because you've got guys like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield that teams have to respect that because not only are those two running backs really good, but this offensive line opens ginormous holes for them time and time again. I think the biggest lesson from the Browns' offensive line is that only Willis is – like really super good, like like the top draft pick that you mentioned. Even Conklin, when he was in Tennessee, right? He was Tennessee. He was just uh, he was he was okay. He was good, like a starting caliber player. But five out of five can play the game, and yeah. you don't have that one or two guys who opponents can just attack over and over and over again. And I've really come to think about offensive lines as being only as good as your weakest link. And uh, along this entire way, the Vikings have always had an extremely weak link almost every single year. And and that's something that the Browns don't have at all on that offensive line is somebody who's just going to get crushed, um, you know, by the other team's best player on defense. I mean, we saw, against the Vikings teams rushing defensive ends against guards because they're like, we can run right through your guards. And that is not something that teams can do there. And I also think that Stefanski got a real education in this system from Gary Kubiak last year and Kubiak's system has normally not so much with the Vikings so far, but normally throughout his history helped offensive lines, like the wide zone stuff and the play action stuff and getting defensive lines moving. I think Stefanski, he's kind of taken what Kubiak had and he's advanced it in the way that you kind of hope that younger coaches do when you hire them. Yeah. And I think it's always a good quality in a coach where you're able to put your guys in the best position possible, right? That's what you want to do. You want to be flexible. You want to be able to adjust, but it can make you look really good as a coach when you don't have a lot of guys that have weaknesses on the offensive line, when you're able to do so many different things, like you brought up the weakest link, comment and I think that is something that certainly rings true and you might say that it's Jedrick Willis being you know just a a rookie in his first go of it but if you look at what he's not great at it's run blocking well the other four guys are spectacular that he's not he he's a very good pass block he is great in pass pro well if he's your left tackle he doesn't need to be an all pro run blocker if he can just keep Baker Mayfield upright that's his job because they've got four other guys and they don't need to run off tackle to the left over and over and over again. They've got so many other options where that doesn't necessarily matter. How did this team overcome a bad defense? I mean, I heard all year about how the Vikings, and I don't mean to be uh, turbo snarky here, but I mean, <laughs> I heard all year about how, well, you know, if you got a defense that bad, you can't win. But when I look at Cleveland's defense, um, 
Not great. Not great at all. I mean, uh, even in against Pittsburgh, up 28 to nothing, you couldn't even feel completely solid. Uh, and then they started giving up touchdowns. And, man, they might even be a punt or two away from blowing a 28-point lead in that game. Um, how were they able to overcome all year long a defense that is that horrendous? Their best defense was their offense all year. I think that's a fair thing to say. When I, I mean, yes, they – I don't want to say almost blew that 28 to nothing lead because they were never up by less than two possessions. Like Pittsburgh never had the opportunity to tie or take the lead after they were up 14, nothing. So because of that, I'm hesitant to say, you know, that they almost blew it, but part of it was they were on the field a lot. The Browns scored super quick and the defense had a lot of snaps, but they've been opportunistic despite the fact that they haven't been very good. They have created turnovers. Like we saw five against Pittsburgh is why they won the game is Mm -hmm. they've been able to do that in a number of different games. They're going to give up points. For my money, they've got maybe three and a half good players, maybe four good players on defense. And last week, you know, your, your good defensive back in Denzel Ward was out with COVID. Miles Garrett certainly has not been the same since he had COVID earlier in the year. Sheldon Richardson's been awesome for a guy that's 30 years old and has a lot of miles. And I think Ronnie Mm -hmm. Harrison can be good. But other than that, there's just not a lot of good players on this defense. So they've been able to overcome that by scoring points is essentially what they've been able to do. They've had three halves this year where they've scored over 30 points in a single half. Oh, wow. And no one else in the NFL has done that. They did it against Tennessee. They did it against Dallas. And then they did it this last weekend against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. That's how they can overcome it. So, yeah they've given up some pretty big numbers. And if you look back to that Dallas game, it was the same thing for for the Cowboys where they were able to come back and essentially because the Browns go into this prevent where they just basically, if you're going to score, do it in four minutes. Don't do it in two plays. Same thing against Tennessee in the second half. Same thing against Pittsburgh last week. So yeah, their point differential wasn't great. They gave up too many points and they're, they're just not talented on that end. But I think part of it has to do with the situations that they've been fortunate enough to be in because that offense has been so good. So uh, you mentioned Baker Mayfield uh, being the future quarterback for the next 10 or 15 years, you said. Um, so you're so you're good there. You're set there. Because I, I think that around the NFL, one thing that we see is that you'll see rookie quarterbacks on, on their rookie contracts and they build the team around them of fantastic offensive line weapons and all that stuff. And then it gets a lot harder down the road, which I know, um, you know, you're excited about this playoff game. We'll get to, so th- talking about five years down the road with Baker Mayfield probably doesn't matter today, but um, <laughs> it's just an interesting conundrum that you get because he had a very good year, just as someone like Jared Goff did or Carson Wentz did in the same sort of circumstance. And you get into the playoffs. And then what that usually means is you're our guy, you're our franchise quarterback. So, Talent-wise, he was number one overall pick, um, but is he on a different level from those guys? Because, you know, you've watched a lot more of Baker Mayfield than I have. I've only seen a handful of national games. Is he on a different level of talent from someone like Jared Goff where he can elevate his team? Or are we talking about things maybe getting harder after this? I think things are certainly going to get harder at a certain point. When you're just on a less talented team and you're soaking up more of that cap space as a quarterback, and naturally things are going to get harder. That's been the case for every quarterback ever, essentially. I mean, we've seen that with Russell Wilson, who I think we're both in agreement is a, a all-time great level quarterback. Like yeah, he is yep. just that good, and we see that with him. I think what's interesting is the coach – 
quarterback marriage that Baker Mayfield, I think, finally has. So in saying that Baker Mayfield could potentially be around for the next 10 to 15 years, you're pairing that with Kevin Stefanski. And I think what separates Jared Goff and Carson Wentz from Baker Mayfield here is that we knew more about them at this point in their career where, you know, Carson Wentz had been with the the same coaching staff and Jared Goff has been with the same coaching staff. Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield's on his fourth head coach and it's his third year. Now you have (laughs) to hope, and I I do truly believe that Kevin Stefanski is the guy moving forward there. I think that that is, I don't have to worry about that for the first time ever, but because of that past, it's okay. Yes. Baker looked really good as a rookie. How much of that is real? We don't know. Then he looked really bad in his second year. How much of that is real? We don't know. A lot of people are down on him and now he's back to good. And I think that it's, you don't want to say you're evaluating him as a rookie right now because that's not the case. He's 25 years old. You're going to have to pick up that fifth-year option, if not extend him this offseason. But you also have to look at it as, okay, you don't throw out the first year entirely, and you don't throw out the second year entirely, but you have to take them with a grain of salt because of the situations that he was in. And I think the same can be said about the third year, but the third year is the more likely situation he's going to be in for the foreseeable future. And I think that that context matters. Yeah, that's a good point. And if you decide to go this direction of making someone your franchise quarterback long-term, the thing that you have to do is you have to make shrewd decisions otherwise. And I think that some of these teams that win, they want to pay everyone. And the Vikings, you know, they have done this with a quarterback that was expensive and paid everyone else and, you know, gave Anthony Barr a big contract and so forth. But, you know, Philadelphia, the same thing. Like when a team wins, they're going to say, well, we can't win without this guy. We can't win without that guy. And I always thought that the Patriot way, the smartest part of the Patriot way was not uh, that Bill Belichick was, you know, I don't know, rude to reporters sometimes I I think it was (laughs) I think it was much more that they were very shrewd as a front office because they knew they were set with their quarterback and that you could replace other things so that that's down the line let's talk about Kansas City they're better than your team Danny yes no question about it there's no debate here Patrick Mahomes is better than your quarterback and uh, that team has weapons and weapons and more weapons Uh, feel free to copy that model Vikings with getting a number three receiver who can run fast um, what what are you giving this? I mean, how are you feeling about this uh, in terms of your odds, your chances? I mean, I think we're going to see points, and I think we're going to see fun, but the other team is not only great, but also rested and playing at home. I saw this last year with the Vikings. They go down, and they beat New Orleans, and it's like, Okay, wow, they're you know they're rolling now. They go into San Francisco. The other team is so fresh that it's really really tough to beat them. There's a reason why number one and two seeds uh, usually end up in the Super Bowl over the last ten years. So, how are you feeling about this? I mean, I'm a little bit optimistic just because I think that what the Browns can do well offensively, and the the difference, the biggest difference I think in relating this back to the Vikings last year going into San Francisco is San Francisco was great with their defense. Kansas City's great with their offense. Their defense is not very good. Like you said, we're going to see points. And I think that that alone gives the Browns an opportunity. Now, they're going to have to get lucky. They're going to have to create a turnover or two. They're going to have to – I think Nick Chubb has to get 120 yards rushing. Kareem Hunt's going to have to have a big impact in his return to Kansas City. But this offensive line going up against a KC defense that – I think they were ranked 22nd against the rush during the regular season. 
that's going to be an advantage for the Browns. Mm -hmm. Just as the Browns aren't going to be able to stop Kansas City and all their weapons offensively, and the Browns don't have the the same weapons on the outside that KC does, I don't know how well KC's going to be able to stop the Chiefs. I think that the winner of this game is going to be the team that wins the turnover battle. Yeah, and that's hard to do against Patrick Mahomes because yeah, sure, the, yes. the, the craziest part about Patrick Mahomes is that he makes all those insane throws without ever turning the ball over. And, um, the, you know, the one thing, though, on their defense is that they've got some really beastly defensive linemen, and if you could slow them down, you've got a chance because I think, you know, Tyron Matthew is a problem in the secondary, but I don't look at that Chiefs defense and say that you should be really concerned, especially their linebackers like what I mean is it uh, the last is Derek Thomas like the last good linebacker for the Chiefs it's been a long time like they do not have they do not have great players at the second level except for Tyron Matthews so I look at that as as an opportunity it's just it's an uphill climb and you got kind of a bad break for who you end up facing I mean um, you earn it with the regular season record but uh, if you were playing Buffalo, you probably have a better chance. I mean, it's like you run into the guy. I mean, Patrick Mahomes this year, if you look at who he beat to go 14-1 and as a starter, they had the toughest schedule, and he just ran through everybody. And at the end Mm -hmm. of the year, they don't play an amazing game against the Falcons, and people go, I don't know, maybe there's some problems here with the Chiefs. (laughs) I don't know, man. I think think it's really in a tough spot, but I love the matchup. I love from an entertainment standpoint, from a I will be sitting back, unlike you with no stress whatsoever watching this football game and I, I've seen a lot of gambling people say bet the over on this yes one. yeah I believe it's at 57 and a half right now and I don't know how you couldn't bet that um <laughs> if you're a betting man that is I think that this is this might be a team that scores 40 points first wins now your money is probably on the Chiefs being able to do that but I think certainly both teams are capable of scoring 40 points. We've seen the Browns score 40 points, and the, the Chiefs have the best quarterback that I have ever seen play the game of football. I'm not calling him you know, the greatest of all time here, but I've just never seen anyone better yeah. in terms of arm talent, and I don't think that's a super outlandish thing to say. So it's going to be a, a fireworks show in, in KC. I truly believe that. All right, what's it like for you before we get to your list? I mean, you've waited a long time for this, and, and I'll tell you, tell you a little story here, Danny that uh, when the Browns returned as a franchise, uh, I decided that I wanted to root for the Browns to be great because I had a bunch of uh, old card sets and stuff and old video games, really old video games, where I used to use the Browns with, like, Vinny Testaverde, Bernie Kosar, Michael Jackson, like, all this – all those Clay Matthews guys. And so when they left, I thought, this is awful. I mean, that's such a classic franchise. When they came back, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get on the Browns bandwagon. And I purchased a Tim Couch jersey to commemorate the – I mean, this is me at 13 years old. So I guess my dad purchased a Tim Couch jersey for me. And I was like, this is the guy, and this is going to work, and this is going to be great. And uh, what a slog it has been (laughs) since then. And I remember listening on the radio to the very first game that they played, and I was like, they're back. Good luck, Ty Detmer. Go out and get it. And they lost like 62 to nothing or something. Yeah, I think they got I mean, smoked by Pittsburgh. It's, it has been a long haul for your team to have reason not only to believe that you could be good this year, but for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if I could bottle up the emotions as a, that I felt as a fan on Sunday, particularly I think it was after – 
Kareem Hunt's second touchdown when the Browns went up 28 to nothing with a couple minutes left in the first quarter. And you're just like, oh, my God, they they are going <laughs> to do this like this is it felt like in that moment that one in 15 and oh, and 16, just that run of that really terrible, terrible football sort of felt worth it in a sense. Not because, you know, the process was paying off because we are a ways removed from that, but it just felt worth it to finally see them win a playoff game, especially when it was, you know, in Pittsburgh where they had not won a game since 2003 in the regular season, where that was the, the scene of their These last stats loss. are just nuts. Like that, what? Yes. That was the scene of their – Yes. And that was the year that they went into – Heinz Field in the playoffs, and Kelly Holcomb threw for over 400 yards, and they, the Browns blew a, I think they were up 36 to 24, 33 to 24, whatever, in the fourth quarter, and they lost. The the Dennis Northcutt dropped pass, the drop interception that happened. It was just, all those things felt worth it for a little bit Sunday night. I'm <laughs> sure we have certainly experienced far more misery than joy, and that's not even close, but just how great that joy felt it felt like everything was worth it. Yeah, and if you're a Vikings fan, I mean, you've had uh, many shots at it, at least, unlike the Browns, who are getting basically their first shot at it here. So let's get to your list. Uh, I basically laid it out for you that, hey, pick five guys who you kind of wish they could be here to see it. Um, I mean, not that they're dead but just that, like they, you know, they, they all these guys are yeah, still alive right. and i assume watching on tv right you know what i mean though like that they could be a part of this or you know the good players along the way or the guys that you would feel good for watching the browns be in the playoffs so uh i can give you my list as well if you want to go back and forth why don't you start sure. out with your list yeah, and I did this more so about guys I want to see feel good for, not necessarily, oh, the Browns are weak at this spot, although oh, some yeah, of sure. them some of them certainly fill that need. Um, but I'll start it off, and this is in no particular order, but Phil Dawson was a guy that – He's was, on my list as well. He's a kicker, so if you don't necessarily understand Browns or Browns fandom or super into everything, this is going to sound crazy. But Phil Dawson was a guy that was – I mean, the second or third best Cleveland Brown of that era, which is insane to say about a kicker, but he truly was. And he's a guy that was beloved in Cleveland. I don't know how many NFL cities there are where in the team shop you could go and actually buy the kicker's jersey, but Cleveland Hmm. was one of them. That was a thing in Cleveland for a long time. And I, I know he ended up in Arizona for part of his career at the end in San Francisco and got to experience a little bit of success. But I think he's someone that him being in Cleveland for a playoff run would be a storybook thing. Yeah, well, him being on my list shows you that I did indeed try to cheer for the Cleveland Browns when I, uh, you know, and I would play with them on all the Maddens, like Madden 2000 and all that, and with Phil Dawson as their very longtime kicker. And speaking of which, so of course Tim Couch is on my list because of uh, what he meant to, like, the they've got the top quarterback and they're going to build around him. And I always felt like he could have been better um, if they had a decent team. So I'll I'll move on from that because I already mentioned him. Kevin Johnson, 
who is, I believe, fifth all-time in receptions in Cleveland Browns history, a great player that just, you know, it, it all went to waste. A great wide receiver who was a big part of everything they did, and I remember him unceremoniously being cut because he didn't block in a game or something like that, and it was like, this is classic Cleveland Browns. But Kevin Johnson was an unheralded, really great receiver for a time, and of course just got no attention because Cleveland Browns. Yeah, he was a name that I thought of, and really that wide receiver group of that early you know, New Browns era with him and Quincy Morgan and Dennis, Dennis Northcutt. Um, and I, I, it was just a fun wide receiver group and they weren't all particularly great, but they were, they were fun. They were a group that as part of my childhood, I remember there was the Hail Mary against Jacksonville that Tim Cobb mm-hmm. threw that I think Quincy Morgan was the one that came down yep. with. Yep. Like that group is a group, a core group of guys that I thought of. And Dennis Northcutt is someone that didn't make my list but he had that dropped pass in the playoff game against Pittsburgh back in 2003. And he, he was a fun receiver. He returned punts and kicks as well, kind of did everything. He was almost a little Josh Cribsy before Josh Cribs, <laughs> if that makes sense. And we'll get yeah. to him in a minute. Yeah. But he was, he was another guy that I thought of just that whole group was, was really a, a great group to watch. Okay. Who's next on your list? Uh, next on my list is Joe Schobert, which oh, okay. is now in Jacksonville. He That's was sort great. of a, he was sort of a victim, and he was a guy that, you know, he was a, a former walk-on the, at the University of Wisconsin, just the typical Wisconsin story that we have just been hammered over and over and over again. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, did you know that guy was a walk-on at, at first? Like, he's from Wisconsin. Right, they don't even recruit in Wisconsin. They're just all yes. walk-ons who are so gritty they make the team. Except for offensive linemen. I think they have 85 scholarship <laughs> offensive linemen, <laughs> and then everyone else is a walk-on at right. some point. That is the Wisconsin way. But he ended up signing with Jacksonville, um, which obviously now is not a great situation either. Right. Um, and I, I actually remember a tweet from earlier this year where they won week one against Indianapolis, and a reporter like quoted Joe Schobert and said it was the first time that he had won week one in his entire career, so which is sad. true. It, it, it's sad and <laughs> it's true. So sad. And he was someone that was – really kind of the heart and soul of the Browns defense for the one in 15, the 0 and 16, the really lean years. And then he leaves and they immediately get good. So that's, that's something where you kind of wish that if he weren't as, if maybe if he were a little bit better and not quite as high priced, I agree with them letting him walk this past off season or two off seasons ago, whenever it was, but you kind of wish he could be here for it. Okay, I went with another linebacker too, Dequell Jackson. Yeah. Dequell yeah. Jackson used to always lead the league in tackles, which was probably just meant you didn't have the ball very often and he was the guy. But for a little while there, people talked about Dequell Jackson as being like the centerpiece of this Browns defense. And look, I, I couldn't really pick him out of a lineup. I just know that he always had great Madden scores and he was like the only guy on the Browns who had good Madden grades and he always had like good statistics and he would get some sort of accolades for just being the one guy who could play on their defense. So good for you to quell Jackson. Yeah. You kind of think of him in that linebacking group and he didn't necessarily play with all these guys, but like a Barkevious Mingo was yeah, a similar yeah, yeah. way where he had a lot of tackles. He wasn't necessarily very good, but he had a lot of tackles <laughs> yes. because the Browns needed, needed somebody to make, to make tackles. And right. he, what, one of the guys that Quell Jackson did play with that didn't make my list, but I, I think is an interesting name to throw out is Phil Taylor. Oh and yeah, he was he was a a good defensive lineman, but he always 
was sort of a, a black eye on that regime of Browns football because he was the guy that they essentially got for the pick that got Atlanta Julio Jones. <laughs> Where, oh, yeah, right. You know, Phil Taylor was right. never a bad player. I think he, he might have made a Pro Bowl at some point. He was a good defensive lineman, but he wasn't Julio Jones. And because of that, it was he was always looked down upon where, you know, he deserved to see some happiness because that wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault the Browns made that move, and he still turned out to be a good player. Right. Was that the next guy on your list? Uh, he was not the next guy on my list, okay. but I, just, I wanted to bring him up. The next guy on my list is Josh Cribbs, where okay. he's another one of those guys that's kind of on the Cleveland Mount Rushmore for just being a good player when they were bad. And he, I know for some time, held return records for most kickoff return touchdowns, which isn't a thing anymore because the rules have changed and we really don't <laughs> right. return kickoffs. And we very rarely return punts. And he was kind of a guy that just, it, he was, he went to college at Kent State. It kind of had a little bit of, he's one of us vibes that I yeah, know, sure. you, you know very well up in Minnesota because that's very much a thing. Um, he, I, I just, you wish he could have experienced more success. Uh, Josh Cribbs, I've got this up here. So I love Eric Metcalf, like one of my favorite yes, players yeah. of all time. And Josh Cribbs has 10,000 kick returning yards. Eric Metcalf, who I thought was one of the great returners of the era, only had 2,800. Which sort of <laughs> that, that tells you just how much uh, Josh Cribbs was one of the all-time great kick returners. I miss them. Like Cordero Patterson is basically the only one left in the NFL that's really returning kicks, but the Dante Halls, Tameric Vanovers, like uh, mm-hmm. Mel Gray, like from back in the day, and Josh Cribbs was kind of the last of a dying breed and was an unbelievable player and uh, never really became much of an offensive threat though, right? I mean, no. he just it's so it's so funny with these guys, like even Devin Hester, where they would try to put him on offense sometimes, and it just that doesn't really doesn't really qualify. One year, though, he ran for 381 yards in 2009. So I think Cribs could have been sort of a victim of the era he played in. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. this could be said true about maybe Devin Hester, maybe some of those guys where, you know, if they were in a more creative offensive era, such yeah. as today's game, what would they look like? Because yeah. I think that's a fair question to ask. He would be a better player in 2021, you know, than he was in 2010. I totally agree. Um, so my last on my list, because uh, you took Phil Dawson for me, I thought I was being clever with that, is um, he is well, beloved. I'm just going to go all the quarterbacks along the way. I mean, sure. because it's just, how do you pick one? So like Kelly Holcomb, of course, um, but even to the guys who got you there by tanking, uh, Deshaun Kaiser, Kevin Hogan. Um, you could go back to Seneca Wallace and Trent Dilfer and Jeff Garcia. And there's just like all these amazing names of people who played quarterback for the Cleveland Browns during this time. It is an unbelievable list. And I love it because now you're finally there. You've got your actual quarterback and um, you had to go through all of this to get there. So I, I wish that uh, all of these quarterbacks could all get together in a room. Not that I want anyone getting together in a room these days, but I mean, wouldn't it have been great if they could have had like all the former Browns quarterbacks gather to watch this game or be at this game and honor them um, in sort of ironic and hilarious fashion, but they, yeah, all, I, they all own a piece of this. Yes. I, I essentially what I am envisioning here by you putting the quarterbacks on is just you that infamous jersey it's a tim couch jersey and it has then it has a nameplate of every quarterback that started from (laughs) tim couch all the way until essentially tyrod taylor who was the last one before baker mayfield to start the game that's right um 
that's essentially who you're talking about. And that infamous jersey is, you know, no longer up. It's been retired. I know exactly the building that it's in where the mannequin was with that jersey in downtown <laughs> Cleveland. But that's just no more. And you do feel for those guys because they all essentially shed blood for the Browns to be where they are now. And especially oh. the, the 2017 group of that, where it was Deshaun Kaiser and Cody Kessler and Kevin Hogan. None of them belonged in the NFL. None of them are presently in the NFL, although I yeah. do think that I saw Deshaun Kaiser was on uh, Tennessee's practice squad to try and emulate Lamar Jackson last week, which very clearly did not go well. For no, them. no, it didn't. Um, but that's just that's who the Browns were for such a long time. You have I, I have the list up here of a lot of these guys, Luke McCown and Ty Detmer, Austin Davis. I mean, you got to go back uh, a ways for Jake DeLome back in 2010 oh, yeah. briefly. Uh, Doug Peterson in 2000. Um, Luke McCown, by the way, played the worst football game I've ever seen. And just since we're here and doing this, I'm going to call it up while you give the next guy on your list. Because I forget what year this was, but he played a game against Buffalo in which I think they ended up with negative passing yards for the whole game with Luke McCown <laughs> starting. And I'm, I'm going to look, I'm going to find the box score here while you give the uh, the next guy on your list. So the next one on my list isn't particularly because this guy is that good anymore, and he's still in the league. He, he's Joe Hayden. You know, he got cut from Cleveland as a bit of a cap casualty when they were obviously trying to tank and didn't want to pay him money to make the defense a little bit better. He's in Pittsburgh now. He was, I believe, part of the one in fifteen team, but was cut before he was on the. He was not on the zero and sixteen team. Signs with Pittsburgh, and if you would have told Joe Hayden that when he the day he was cut and then the Browns go 0-16, that the Cleveland Browns would win a playoff game before <laughs> Pittsburgh Steeler Joe Hayden ever would. Yeah. Who, would, who wouldn't look at you like you were crazy? Because right. that's what happened. And Hayden didn't play because of COVID this last week. But he thought he was going to greener pastures. And, yeah, he's played in a playoff game, and he's been on successful teams since he left the Browns. But the Browns are now further along than where he is. And I think that he's someone that Pittsburgh's probably going to end up parting ways with this offseason as a result of another cap casualty. But he was someone that did embrace the city of Cleveland, that loved being a Cleveland Brown during the time that he was there. And there was a time where he actually, I do think, was a pretty strong cornerback. But just you wish a guy like that that was right at the end and almost got to see it turn around and then was jettisoned out of town. You feel for him a little that, bit. That's kind of the theme of your list is like guys yeah. who are almost there for the turnaround and then they, uh, then they exited. So I was right. Um, this game is uh, this Luke McCown game is from what? 2004. Okay. And they ended up with minus three net passing yards because uh, Luke McCown was sacked 70 times or I'm sorry, not 70. He was sacked seven times. <laughs> it must have felt like it. Seven yeah, I'm sure times for 70 yards loss, and threw for he threw for 67 yards passing. So Oof. minus three passing yards in a 37-7 loss. He went eight for 20 with a touchdown, two picks, and uh, ended up actually benched for uh, Jeff Garcia briefly in that game. So. Or maybe Jeff Garcia got hurt. Actually, this could be Jeff Garcia got hurt and McCown came in. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, they had a game where they had minus, like, negative net passing. Let me ask you this, um, because you have a a very clear, extensive football knowledge brain. Are there any other franchises that have had games started by both Luke and Josh McCown? Mm, I don't think so, because Luke, um, he did bounce around to teams, but not as many. Like Josh was with way more teams. Luke was only with Cleveland 
Uh, Tampa Bay actually would be the team. Yeah, so uh, and maybe even Jacksonville. But Tampa Bay, they both started for Tampa Bay. So Yeah, that's yeah. Good. I mean, quite a list, truly. Good for you, McCowns. Luke McCowns' career, 2-8 and eight with a 71 quarterback rating, and he was in the NFL for 10 years. That's How much amazing. money did he make? That's amazing. I don't, I don't have it right here, but because I would have to assume that's a lot of money per win in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, that too. might be the most money per win in NFL history. Yeah, this doesn't have his contract information for his career, uh, like Baseball Reference does. But it's got, I mean, yeah, it's got to be in like the tens of millions of dollars for winning two games in the NFL. It's a good gig if you can get it. Well, yeah. anyway, uh, Danny, it was great to catch up with you. Uh, or wait, did you have one more? I have on your one list? more. I do oh, I'm sorry. More. Um, the one I think that I wanted to say for last because it just it has to be mentioned is Joe Thomas. Right. I yes. think we we would probably agree is the greatest Brown since they came back in '99. Easily. Um, yeah. And yep. the like he he's been out of the league for a couple years, and it's only, that means it's only a couple years before he's in Canton. Essentially, like he was that good. Yeah. And his last year was the 0-16 year, and that's how he went out. And obviously he still is – he's doing things with NFL Network and still is a Browns homer there, but you wish that he could take the field for them, even though that's not a place where they need an upgrade particularly right now. But you, you just wish that he was so good mm-hmm. that he deserved to be on a winning team. And, and it's it never too, happened after his rookie year. Yeah, and it's too bad the injuries took him too. It, yeah, it was yeah. his career ended on a injury, and he said later that he hadn't been practicing for like three years basically because he was so beat up. And uh, that is too bad because he is truly one of the great players I think of all time at that position. And just unfortunate that they couldn't figure out so many other positions around Joe Thomas. And now he looks like you. He's lost yeah. a, a bunch of weight, and um, although he's six seven, and that's we could have used him I, I instead do of you get, on the rec league team. Yes, I do get tweets occasionally of screenshots of him on NFL Network, especially like right after he gets a haircut. Uh, <laughs> he and I, like people are like, is this you? No, it's Joe Thomas, guys. It's not me. That's yeah, Thomas. you have a, a lot of doppelgangers, actually. I mean, PJ Fleck is probably the closest. Well, and there, there's that guy in the WWE, I think Baron Corbin. Um, I get him a lot. But, yeah, him, Joe Thomas, and P.J. Fleck are, are the ones that I certainly uh, I can't disagree with. Yeah, well, this is really fun for Joe Thomas. I like to joke like one-time Viking Joe Thomas because there was briefly some rumors in 2016 that he would uh, come to the Vikings. Maybe they would have made the playoffs that year. Anyway, so, no. Dan- well, Danny, it was great to catch up. It's been a long time since you and I have done any type of broadcasting or basketball together by the way since you're back there in Cleveland so uh make your way up here so we can ball again and I wish you the best of luck you as well Matthew I'm I'm really hoping to get back to Minnesota you know once we're allowed to do things again at (laughs) some point in our lives we will see well best of luck to you and your Cleveland Browns and uh we'll, we'll do it again man absolutely love being on